let me begin with some words from Scripture, from 1 Chronicles 16. Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim His name. Make known among the nations what He has done. Sing to Him. Sing praises to Him. Tell of all of His wonderful acts. Glory in His holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and His strength. Seek His face always. I don't know if you remember, some time ago I came and, um, and, and led a service. It was back at the beginning of September. And I introduced a thing called TTT. I don't know if we're going to get a slide today. But TTT, uh, I was telling you, was, uh, we started off at Girton. And it was time to, uh, to um, this time tomorrow. And we would look at what people were doing in the week. And be reminded of how God is in our everyday And then we changed it and said uh, TTT was time to thank because we recognised that there was an awful lot of things that we get in life every day that we need to give thanks to God for. And more recently we've changed it again and this time we've kept the same TTT but now it's time to talk because we recognise there's an awful lot to say about what's going on in the week. To give thanks for but also to to just say what God is doing in our lives. And so now's the opportunity for you as a fellowship to share some of the things that you want God's help with or that God is doing in your life. So I'm going to hand over to you for a few moments and then we'll wrap that up with a time of prayer. So time to talk. They can do, yes, yeah. Thank you. Um, I, I suppose, like myself, you guys also live busy lives, and um, I find my life is quite full of things. And whenever the weekend comes around, it's a chance to actually like r- recognise those things that block your relationship with God, and probably with all the people around you as well, because. It's a chance to think about your family and, and other things. And so my week kind of revolves around getting <laughs> from work very late. And um, yesterday I spend, as I often do, a lot of time, uh, once or twice a month normally, on preparing a Sunday school lesson for the children. And I really enjoy that because it's a time when I'm really focusing a lot on God. It's, it's not like... You read your Bible once in a while and nothing actually speaks back to you. Because every time I do this, God speaks to me in some small way. And, um, and that's why I keep doing Sunday school lessons. Because um, I get a lot out of a sermon. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Um, and I find it quite funny how people say um, they can come to church and go home and not have heard anything um, because we had to read uh, a chapter of Exodus for this morning, Sunday school lesson, chapter 16 and a little bit into chapter 17 and it's about the Israelites getting lost in the desert Um, and sometimes you might feel you're one of those people who's lost in the desert because you're just not getting a message Um, but it was quite amazing for me to get a message out of Exodus which was the same as the message from Jesus' story that we covered 
Oh, about three or four weeks ago, five loaves and two fishes. You guys might remember five loaves and two fishes because we actually spoke about it here in church and then the children actually learned about it upstairs. Um, and this time we have manna and quails. And God is trying to teach us the same lesson. And so sometimes we think, oh, I'm not going to read the Old Testament because it's the old lessons. But it isn't. It's the same lesson. So I just wanted to share that with you because that's something that came out of, out of, uh, out of this. It started dawning me on, on, with me on Friday when I started really looking at the word more closely and what is it that um, we're sharing with the children. Anyway, that book. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Very much a reminder there that God is Jehovah Jireh, God the provider, and he provides all for all of our needs. And it so often goes way beyond and touches our lives in wonderful ways. Anything else? In a speech 150 years ago, in 19, uh, sorry, 1863, Abraham Lincoln said this, We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserves us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to the God that made us. I think they're incredibly powerful and damning words. And though they were said to the nation of America, apart from perhaps the greatness, they apply to this nation too. It seems to me that we're still willing to live under this same deceit. Well, in our passage today, John once again wants to remind us to trust in Jesus. He wants us to trust in a way that causes us to follow him. A way that recognises the the flim-flam peddled by the world as truth. To recognise that this will be shown for the sham that it really is. Because he has overcome the world. And because of the gift of grace that he gives to us. If we believe, we can live victoriously. Because the living God not only goes before us, but his spirit lives within us. Let's look at. The scriptures that we have before us today. It's 1 John 5 and the first 12 verses. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we have love, uh, sorry, that we love the children of God by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is the love for God. To keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? 
Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which has been given about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony of God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. When I was asked to uh, lead this service, I was given this scripture and uh, the title for the, for the me- message. Well, the passage, as we know now, is 1 John 5, verses 1 to 12. And the title is Life in the Son. So what I want to do is look at this passage by choosing some of the verses and parts of verses to see how that reminds us uh, of our life in the Son. And so we begin at the very, uh, fairly close to the beginning. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And the part that I want to focus on first of all is Jesus is the Christ. Because the trouble in the world today is many actually believe in Jesus. They know Jesus. But their belief is a really general one. And there are some, quite a few in fact, who not only believe in Jesus, but they will say that he was a man of God. But they will not acknowledge him as the Christ. They will say that he is like Christ, or even is a Christ but not the Christ. And it's essential that our belief is that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the one sent by God for the fulfilment of his plan of salvation for his creation and humanity in particular. And we know this from John's uh, epistle, chapter 14 and verse 9, where we read uh, Jesus answering Thomas when he says, um, I and the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that's something we really need to understand. It's something we really need to believe. Jesus is the only way. And it mustn't be a belief for others. It must be ours. We need to make it our very own. God only has children. He has no grandchildren or nephews or nieces or in-laws. We are all, when we believe, children of God. And that's really what the end part sort of says. Everyone who believes in the, uh, that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. You know, when we believe, when we give our hearts to God, when we repent, we become a part of his family. We become children of God. Brothers and sisters in his family. In Galatians 4 verse 5 it says, God sent him, Jesus, to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law. 
so that he could adopt us as his very own children. I don't know what that makes you feel. I suppose it really depends how big God is to you. I shouldn't share stories about holidays, but I'm going to share a little one now. Karen and I, as some of you know, have just been privileged to go to America. And one of the places that we went to was the Grand Canyon. And now we all know that the Grand Canyon is big. And as we sat on the rim, looking down and over and across at the canyon, we realised how big it was, because we could see it. You know, it stretched from, from all of our vision. But for me, the real size of it came into focus when we saw a helicopter. Now, we know what helicopters are like. We know roughly how big they are. And we saw this helicopter fly along the, the skyline and descend into the canyon. And as it descended, it was getting smaller and smaller and smaller until it was no more than a gnat or a fly. And then you really got a sense of how big it was. And I think we need to get a sense of how big God is. And when we realise how big God is, we realise what he's done for us and we can really then connect. And then how much more awesome is it that we're his children, that he loves us, that he would do the things that he has done. You know, our respect uh, for God is huge. And our love, our response for what he does is to, to love him, to to, to love him in a supernatural way. And that love, of course, is unconditional. And if it's an unconditional love, of course it will be to love the children that are around him, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's tough, isn't it? But we're not necessarily told that we have to like them. So that makes it a little bit easier. But we are called to love them. Because they are precious to God. And it doesn't matter what we think of them on a personal level, on a human level. Within our spirit, we should rejoice and love all of God's children. And when we're able to do that, that's really reflecting back to God, the love that he shows us. And is an example of that love that we have for God. To love all others in the family of God means that we don't limit our love to others in this fellowship. We don't even limit it to, to those who are in, uh, in this community or even in our denomination or even in our social or financial st uh, status bracket or our own political uh, perspective or even our own theological persuasions. If any of these things mean more to us than our common salvation and the common lordship of Jesus Christ, then something has gone very wrong. No, what we need to do is recognise that this common ground for Christians is not race or class, is not culture or language or any of the things except that common birth in Jesus Christ, that common lordship of Jesus, our Messiah. And when we can do that, then we can truly love them and show that our love for God is there and fulfill what he commands. In fact, he goes on to say, doesn't he, in fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And we're not just talking about the Ten Commandments here, but all of the teachings of Jesus. And it's not a, a legalistic 
adherence to the rules. It's, it's not uh, just looking at what the Bible says and doing our very best to obey it, because if we don't, there is some consequence. Because God doesn't want to rule by guilt. This isn't about a guilt trip. He wants us to love and obey because of what we've received. It's a response. But then we come to a little bit of trouble in the text, don't we? Because that verse ends by saying, and his commands are not burdensome. Well, I don't know about you, but I've found that some sins can look mighty appealing. Sometimes, I guess we all struggle to resist the temptations that are thrown in front of us that would cause us to stray from the narrow path that God leads us down. But that isn't what, God, uh, what John means when he talks about not being a burden. What I think he's talking about is what I spoke about a moment ago. It's about this guilt. You know, the church has got it wrong historically in the past. It has ruled by applying severe guilt to the, to the members of the fellowship. And when we act out of guilt, we do things under a very different motivation. Because what we're fearing really is not God, but the consequences of our actions. Now, I'm not going to say there aren't any consequences, because when we sin, there are most certainly consequences. But that's not the focus. The focus should be on letting God down. I went to uh, a management seminar many, many years ago when I was in management. Uh, It was run by a guy called John uh, Blanchard, who wrote The One Minute Manager. And he told a little story of, of, of about discipline. And uh, what he sort of says is most managers get it wrong because what they do is they've got an issue with an employee, so they haul the employee in and they sort of lay into them, how dare they do this, Uh, this is not the behaviour that is expected of an employee of this company, and, uh, and, and really give them a hard time. And the employee usually leaves, not thinking about what they've done wrong, but the way that they've been treated. And that's guilt. And it usually doesn't really change behaviour. You do the bare minimum not to get caught, to get chewed out. And what he said is, is the better way to manage is actually when the person comes in, you sort of say, you know, thanks for taking the time. You know what we're going to talk about is a difficult issue. He says, and the only reason really I'm calling you in is because you're better than that. You know, there'd be no point in me t- telling you off about something that you couldn't change. But you can. You are better than this. And then you go into the detail of what you've got wrong, so that they know very specifically the area that needs some attention. And then you conclude by, again, building the person up by sort of saying, you know, you are an important part of this organisation, and I rely on you to do the part of work that you do. And that's why I can't let you get away with getting it wrong. Because you're not only letting yourself down, you're letting me down, you're letting the company down. And you're better than that. And when you do that, when somebody leaves, they're normally thinking, you know, I've let them down. He's entrusted me to do something, and I didn't get it right. And I'm going to do my very best to get it right next time. And that's exactly what this passage is talking about. And that's why it's not a burden. Because when our motivation is right, these things become much easier. Does it mean we're not going to fail? Well, of course we're going to fail. But we shouldn't beat ourselves up. We just lay it before the Lord who embraces us and loves us when it's sincere. And we move on. And that's what it means when it says his commands are not burdensome. Because we rejoice and have joy in doing what is right. The way of the world is centred on itself. It centres everything on itself. What we want. 
what we deserve. But the way of Jesus is to centre everything on God and God's desires. And of course the greatest desire is for us to love, to love him and love his creation. And that means each other, to love his children. When we centre ourselves on Christ, on God, it's so much easier to overcome those temptations that would other throw us off. Because we see them for what they are. Transitory trinkets that will not last and have no real worth. John goes on, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. You know, when I looked at that, I was trying to think of some sort of illustration. And it occurred to me again, uh, in fact I was talking to somebody not very long ago, how we are a debt-ridden nation. And we know that, don't we? You know, sort of constantly uh, being told we've got to tighten our belts and the government, as much as they don't want to, have got to tax us more. They don't say it quite like that, but that's in essence what they're going to do. Because we've got to get the national debt down. We've got to, to save some. We've got to reduce that burden. And, of course, uh, national sort of level, it's, it's, it's very important. But it doesn't really strike home. But there are a lot of people in this day and age who have borrowed today to pay for pleasures today. Not even, uh, I'm not looking at essentials, uh, but borrowed to, to provide for holidays and cars and all those sort of things. And I'm not saying that's necessarily wrong, except the debt that it carries with it. Because at some point we have to pay for that. And more and more we're seeing on adverts on the television for, have you got debts? Consider an IVA. You know, pay back over an even longer time. Maybe even get some of your debt cancelled. Or in severe cases where people can't even get that, of course they become bankrupt. And I think people have become bankrupt. Not financially, but spiritually. Because not just financially have they borrowed for the future. Spiritually, they've stolen their future to pay for a bit of pleasure today. And that's a real problem. And that's really what this passage is wanting to remind us. Because that's the world. That's the world overtaking us when we succumb to those things as we see so many around us that, that Abraham Lincoln was referring to in that opening uh, reading that I gave. And there's too much of that in the society. But through Jesus... The power of the world has been overcome because we've got something more that we can look at. We've got something more that we can focus upon. I guess the problem is that too many in the world today see today as, uh, as it. You know, we have these few years on earth and that's it. They don't see that these few years we live on earth are, are but a pinprick in the realm of eternity. And there's a whole lot more. And how do you want to spend eternity? At Girton, we've got a poster we sometimes put up. How do you want to spend eternity? Smoking or non-smoking? It raises a chuckle, but it has a real depth behind it. Because some have given their future, their eternity away to the flames for a bit of pleasure today. I'm very conscious of time. This, this is a passage that has got so much in it, and you really, uh, I encourage you to read it and look at it and see about some of the other things. You know, we could go into what the, uh, I'm not avoiding it, it's just time. We could look at what the, the, the water and the blood are. And there are a few sort of theories on, on, on those. 
I like what Tertullian, uh, that first century Christian, sort of says, that the, the water is, is uh, relating to the baptism of Christ. And of course the blood relates to his crucifixion. But there are other interpretations. But I really ought to wind this up. I, I, sorry, I'll get carried away. This whole passage is about John wanting his reader to be in no doubt that Jesus is the Son of God. And that he died that we might receive salvation. That we might have life. And he underlines this as he moves on to tell us that that gift is eternal life. In our consumeristic society where focus is on self and satisfying our own desires, almost at the expense of anything or anyone else, we've been persuaded that only the current moment is important. And we need to get uh, away from that. We need to get away from this idea that actually it's all about what I can get out of this moment, this, this life. We need to realise that there will be but a few years spent on this earth and then we have eternity. And how we spend that time on this earth has consequences for that eternity. Our prize, our gift, our inheritance as children of God is eternity in the kingdom. It's a promise to be with the Creator, not for a little while, but forever. And this is the life that we have in Christ. Let us pray. Father God, we thank and praise you for your word. We realise that there is so much in it. But Lord, we ask that you speak to us in the, the glimpse that we get. Speak to us today that it might mean something. That it might change an attitude or a thought. Might encourage us or just remind us of that truth. That our life is in you. And so Lord, bless us as we speak together, as we read your word, as we pray together, as we pray alone. May all of it remind us that you need to be at the centre. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Now may the Lord who gives peace give you peace at all times and in every way. May you know the presence of the Lord wherever you go. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you now and forevermore. Amen.